not going to make it. Thank you so much for coming. Um, our seminar learning and learning from the next generation. And we're just going to start really briefly with just saying why we're all here. So Becky, yep, why I'm are here. you here? Why <laughs> I'm are here. you here? I'm here. So uh, I know some of you in the room already and hopefully some of you already know me. Um, I am the Commission Kids Team Leader, which means all those fancy things that we do together as Commission. Um, I take a leadership from the children's perspective. So that's like things like Commission Festival, things like the kids tours, any kind of kids leaders gatherings, those kind of things. So I get that enviable task. Um, on, on the on the big sphere, I guess. But um, practically, I'm a children's pastor in my local church. Um, practically, I'm church planting. So uh, two years ago, I had 100 kids, and now I've got 10. Um, so it's very different um, leading 10 children to leading 100. But I feel really passionately that 10 children church planting need a really good children's pastor. Um, and they're right on the front line of church planting. So that's why I'm here. Great. Why are you here? Why am I here? That is a really good question. <laughs> um, so I, I, I work at Welcome Church with Steve Petch and Dove and, and loads of others that are around. Uh, I, it's funny why I'm here um, because I, I don't work in kids ministry and I don't lead youth ministry. So now you're all going, why are you? Why are you here? <laughs> um, even though historically I have served on both of those teams, but my... Uh, I'm, I'm an elder at Welcome Church and, and I oversee all under 18 ministries. So today, I guess our combination is that Becky's coming from an on-the-ground perspective, um, albeit with her huge gifting in this area, a, a big picture as well. But I'm, I'm really coming from a leadership point of view, from an eldership point of view, of what do I want our kids and youth ministry to look like in our churches? Um, and, and what does that look like? Um, and I wonder, before we kick off, why are you here? Why are you here? So I wanted to throw out some, some hands up moments. So can you put your hand up if you serve in kids ministry? Kids ministry, hands up. Great. That's great. Hands up if you serve in youth ministry. Great. Fantastic. A woo for the youth. You have to woo if you're in youth. So that's <laughs> kids or youth, will you woo? Yeah. What, about, what about parents? Anyone here parent, under 18s? You got a child under 18? In your home? It's good to see you here. And what about if you work in a secular job with children? Or, or young people, under 18s. Yeah, for sure, under 18s. If you work, work in a secular job, yeah. Right, here's good. the slightly thorny one. Any other elders in the room? Any other elders? Yes. Great. Great, thank you. Any, any lead elders in the room? <laughs> so I don't, and I don't want to. I don't want to make too much of that. There's great seminars going on. Our friend Sarah's doing a brilliant seminar yeah. that I would love to have gone to. Yeah. And Steve Chick's talking about hurting people. Our country's full of hurting people. <laughs> uh, Pastoring hurting people, not <laughs> hurting people. <laughs> I see. I see. Although we could start a rumor. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so I don't want to. Yeah. Draw too sharp a conclusion on what I've just said, but but I think there is a there's something of a point there. Is that how much as leaders are we owning people that, that you know? If I'm charged with the authority of an elder mm. to to uh, shepherd the flock, then that surely include, includes Absolutely. our youngest, most vulnerable people yeah. uh, in our churches. Um, and it, I can't mm. farm that out to anyone, uh, although I can release people into authority and responsibility. Actually, that's something I, I always have to carry uh, as an elder um, and the lead elders as well. 
Well, we're going to start by telling some stories today. Um, and so we've got our um, session is in three parts. Uh, and so part one, um, we're calling the setting. Setting, we're setting the scene. Um, and so I'm going to tell you a story um, from the Bible. And it's about a youth worker called Eli. Now, Eli lived in Israel in the time of the judges, which was a time of huge spiritual decline in Israel. The, the book of Judges ends with the very ominous one-liner. It says this, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's the last line of the book of Judges. And they really did. Everyone did. Not just normal people, important people. Yeah, people who worked in the tabernacle, representing God to the people and the people to God. There was scandal in the people of God. And sadly for Eli, it was very close to home because it was his own two sons, Phinehas and Hophni, which we read about in 1 Samuel 1 to 4. Now, these two sons were abusing their position and their behavior wasn't a secret. It was an open secret, as we say. Everyone knew about it, uh, that what these guys were doing. There two, two sins we are told about they were doing. One is that they were using their status and their position to groom girls who came to the tabernacle and get them <coughs> into bed. There we go, the Bible not pulling punches. But worse still, they were abusing the Lord himself because they would steal the meat that worshippers brought to sacrifice before it had been sacrificed for their own gluttony and their own gain. They were stealing from God and everyone knew it and Eli did nothing to stop it. Maybe he even sometimes he sat down for dinner and ate meat that had been stolen by his sons. Everyone did as they saw fit and the people of Israel lived consequently not under God's blessing but under God's curse. Of course one of the signs of God's curse on Israel was that barrenness among women uh, happened uh, who, were, who were of childbearing age. Even faithful ones like Hannah, who was desperate to raise a family. And one year, this woman Hannah, she, on her annual pilgrimage to the tent of meeting, she cries out in prayer to God, and Eli sees her, but he, he thinks that she's plastered. She's been on the Alco Pops, and, <laughs> and he starts rebuking her, um, which is almost a picture of how out of touch Eli is with uh, what's going on. He's supposed to know God intimately, and yet he'd lost the ability to discern godliness from, from drunkenness. But once he'd understood his mistake, he then foolishly, he just asked God to answer her prayer without knowing what her prayer was, <laughs> without knowing that she'd asked for a son, a son whom she would lend back to the Lord to live and work in his tabernacle, in his service, a son whom she would call Samuel, who God would give to Eli to raise as his assistant at first, but later his replacement. So Eli was about to become a youth worker. And so when he was of a suitable age, Samuel came to live in the tabernacle and Eli became a youth leader. Not a trendy and relevant youth leader like Josh from Camberley. Not as trendy and relevant as Josh. No, he couldn't even play the guitar, Eli. Um, he was old, he was half blind, he was forever getting the wrong end of the stick. He was spiritually lukewarm and he had a failing youth ministry in his own two sons on his CV already. But Samuel came to live in the tabernacle with Eli. He ministered to the Lord side by side with Eli as his mentor and he grew in righteousness and reputation. And then, as many of you know, one night the Lord uh, spoke to someone 
in the tabernacle, which we're told was exciting because the word of the Lord was rare in those days because everyone did as they saw fit. But God didn't speak to the priest. He didn't speak to the appointed one. It wasn't to the experience of age, but to the innocence of youth. And the Lord spoke to Samuel. And the Lord spoke judgment over Eli. And in perhaps the only wise words spoken by Eli in his narrative, he listens to the message the Lord has given to Samuel and he says this, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So in this story that we read in these passages, God is cleaning house. He's raising a new leader for himself, one who would serve him faithfully and speak out whatever messages he was given by the Lord. Now, of course, we know ultimately Samuel points us to Jesus, the one who is faithful and righteous, the one who is the living word of God. But today we're going to explore Eli's story a little, and myself and Becky, we're, we're going to try and bring some thoughts on what it might say to us today as we focus on leading, loving, and learning from young people. So now Becky's going to tell us a story. Well, I've got a different story for you today. And our story picks up almost 3,200 years later. And this story is also set in a time where people did as they saw fit. And you're probably not surprised that that story is the story of the youth of today. That's where we are in our culture, where everyone does as they saw fit, right? And so um, I just want to give you a little picture of what's happening in our culture with the youth and the young people of today. Um, I, I think this is somewhat surprising, but also maybe not surprising, that one in six children in England had a probable mental disorder in 2021. One in six children? That's a massive number of children and young people with mental health conditions. And there's one in six children, I don't know how many kids are in your kids' work, but even my tiny church have more than six children in my children's work. So how many people do you know, how many young people are you working with that have a probable mental health condition? Isn't that scary? Isn't it scary? But also that there are 3.9 million children in the UK living in poverty. That's eight children in a class of 30. And again, I don't know what demographic you're working in in your town, but some places that will be much higher. Some places that will be much higher. There's a poverty crisis going on, and these figures are coming in before we've got all of the uh, energy crisis and all of the challenges of the winter that are going to hit families, right? Let me try and explain something. My husband works in health, and he's been great in giving me some information to arm me here with what the condition is for health. So in, in health education, they talk about adverse childhood experiences. Okay? So on the, on the screen here, you can see there are 10 different types of adverse childhood experiences. So physical, emotional, sexual neglect. Um, oh, sorry, physical and emotional neglect or physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And then you've got kind of challenges that are facing the family home. Okay, so this is not necessarily the child, but in the home, somebody's battling mental illness. There's possible uh, domestic violence happening in the home. Perhaps there's an incarcerated relative, or maybe the parents have separated. Maybe there's substance abuse. So these are kind of 10 broad pictures uh, that could be affecting children in their home. Well, let me tell you something potentially quite scary, is that if you are to be experiencing four or more of these adverse childhood experiences, so if four of those things are true for a young person you're supporting, then they are three times 
as likely to develop lung disease or smoke as an adult. They are 14 times more likely to attempt suicide. They are four and a half times more likely to develop depression. That's not twice as likely. That's four and a half times as likely. But isn't that mad? There is 11 times the level of intravenous drug abuse. That's scary. That's really scary. And they're four times as likely to be sexually active by the time they're 15. That's really scary stats. The scary thing about it, if you go back a second, guys, is that one in seven children experience four or more adverse childhood experiences. That's one in seven children who are four times as likely to be sexually active by the time they're 15. That's one in seven who are going to be 14 times as likely to attempt suicide. This is the reality of the youth of today. This is scary stats. In our day, poverty is rife. There are 2.2 million people relying on food banks. 2.2 million people. Did you notice that poverty is not one of our ten? Isn't that scary? But that's in addition to one in seven children experiencing four or more of these. That there are also families relying on food banks, living in poverty, not having the, the resources in the home. I think it's really scary. And whilst this is really depressing news, actually, what I want to encourage you in is that actually health experts have recognised that there are positive experiences that can mitigate against these. The, the, the likelihood of them smoking or becoming sexually active or using drugs, whatever, actually can be mitigated through the involvement of grandparents, for example, and the church. Isn't that good news for us? That actually we can make a difference to these statistics. That's the role of us in the church. That should be everybody's responsibility as a Christian. You should be going, this is my problem. This is the church's problem. You know, like Eli couldn't keep the problem out of the temple. You know, his sons, the priests, the guys who should have been there helping with the sacrifices were abusing the sacrifices. Actually, we can't keep this problem out of the church and we shouldn't shut our doors to this problem. The church should be on the forefront of dealing with today's day where everyone did as they thought, saw fit. This is the story of the church. This is the story of the church. And, it, and this is the scary statistics that say actually nearly half of UK churches have fewer than five under 16s. This is the story of the church. I thought it was absolutely appalling that only 59% of Christian parents want their children to share their belief in God. 59% of parents? Isn't that sad? What are the other lot thinking? <laughs> I don't want them to share my belief. Um, I thought, again, 68% of church leaders stated they have no strategy or vision for children's ministry. No strategy or vision. That's your church leaders. Isn't that scary? Isn't that sad? I think it's really sad. But uh, to counterpoint, our church is doing really well. <laughs> no, there are. I'm going to tell you about some right now. There's, there's I'm going to show you three churches that are knocking it out of the park for young people. Let me say, these churches, uh, the first one is St. Werberg's in Bristol. Okay. Now, let me tell you, they get young people, not just on a Sunday, every day of the week. They get young people coming through to them. Young people, uh, kids, youth, 
their families they come, or they, they, do you know what, they actually pay to come mm. to St. Werburgh's Bristol. Mm. Because St. Werburgh's Bristol is actually a climbing centre. <laughs> <laughs> it's a decommissioned church. <laughs> it's a climbing centre. What about this one? God will mean congregational church near to where we live. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a Cotswold uh, interior, interior uh, shop, design shop. And uh, last one, we've got St. Luke's in Bedford, nice church, this Moravian church, this uh, from the 19th century. Uh, it's a theatre, uh, really nice theatre. Um, yeah, it's great. What's my point here? My point is that actually we have to ask big questions in the long term yeah. about what's going to happen in our churches. Um, we can think, oh, you know, we, we're New Frontiers. We've kind of, it's been a theme of this conference, I think. Oh, you know, we're New Frontiers, we're great. No, no, we, we can, uh, just like John was saying, we can, uh, and if we're not careful, our buildings will end up as climbing centres and furniture shops mm. and theatres because we didn't nurture the next generation. So we, we want to just pose the question to you today because it's really easy sitting there to think, well, it can't happen to us. It wouldn't happen to us. But actually, it's when we sit in the complacency of saying, well, it's not, it's not going to happen to us. That's when it does, Right. So actually, we want to pose the question, not it can't happen to us. We want to pose the question that says, actually, I'm saying unless something happens, unless we do something, it will happen to us. It will happen to us. We want to to ask you, where will your church be in 2050? Who's going to be running your church in 2050? What's your children or your youth ministry going to look like? So we're going to dig in a little bit more. Great, so that's our end of our first section, setting the scene. So part two is called, is the tension. What went wrong for Eli? So we're going to try and dig into some of the problems that are in this story in the Bible and, and how they might be reflected for us. So what I think is really, really interesting is who God holds accountable. Mm. You know, you've got these two sons, vile behaviour, using their position for, for um, you know, their own sexual desires, stealing from God. Who does God hold accountable? We know the answer. It's Eli. The Bible tells us God holds Eli accountable. So we're going to suggest two things that went wrong for Eli. The first one is misplaced affection. So here we, um, we read uh, about um, what God says to Eli. And, and um, God sends a prophet to him. So it says, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Why do you honour your sons more than me? by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel. And the next chapter, uh, God says to Samuel, for I told him that I would judge his family, I'll judge Eli's family forever, because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. The Bible tells us that Eli honoured his sons more than God. He was unwilling to upset them, to train them and discipline them in reverence for the Lord. He'd rather turn a blind eye to their misdemeanours than embrace the hard work of growing in them a fear of the Lord and thus fulfilling his role as both father and priest. And I think the most tragic description in this whole narrative is when the author introduces Eli's sons. He simply says this, that they had no regard for the Lord. They had no regard for the Lord. They didn't know him. They didn't fear him, they didn't love him. 
And I, I wonder if we can do the same in our ministry to young people if we're not careful. We can forget that everything we do, absolutely everything we do, should be towards the aim of young people knowing Jesus for themselves and being yeah. in a community of people who know and love yeah. Jesus. And if our young people spend years in our ministries, coming up through the ranks, through the kids, mm. through the youth, and then they leave us without knowing Jesus for themselves, knowing who he is, knowing his good news and how it changes us, knowing his commands and how they free us, knowing his word and how it instructs us, knowing his compassion for others and how it moves us mm. towards a broken world. If our kids don't know that, having been for years sometimes in our ministries, I think we've got misplaced affection, just like Eli had. And maybe the re response would be, oh yeah, but you know, if I focus on teaching the Bible too much, I'll lose them. I'll lose them. They won't be interested. <laughs> and I just go, oh, make them interested. That's our job, isn't it? To make them interested. Do we think the Bible is interesting? Yes, yes we do. <laughs> Do we think it's interesting what the living God has to say to us about our life? Yes, we do. So we have to make them here. We have to get their attention. And we have to do everything we can to help young people see that no one is more captivating and worth That's showing right. than Jesus. I remember I did um, some supply teaching right after I'd come out of um, drama school. I was like 21. I went back to school. I, I um, was at Sick Form Out. I did some supply teaching. And, um, and I went to the head teacher, who was a genius, she was fantastic, and I, I said to her, oh, I'm really struggling to get the kids to listen. I keep saying, listen, they won't listen, and they're talking, they won't listen. I just need them to listen. If they listened, I'd be, you know, I could teach. And she said, yeah, yeah. Thing is, you've got to give them a reason to listen. Yeah. And it, was, it stuck with me. And sometimes I think, are we giving kids a reason to listen? Yeah. That's our job. We've got, to, we've got to give them a reason to listen. Um, and get their attention with what we know um, is worth our attention. Mm. And in this, we need to hold to our vision, even if it means we lose some young people. Yeah. And I think for ministries, kids and youth, you have to first of all decide what your aims are, what are we here for, who are we serving? And then you have to hold to them. So we've decided for our church, Welcome Church, uh, Welcome Youth, for example, serves our youth and their friends to love Jesus and to love one another. So if a, if a young person buys into that, and, and their parent has nothing to do with church, but the young person is bought into that vision, we can work with that. If the parent has bought into that, because they come to church, and their child's struggling, maybe not interested as much, maybe having a tough time in life, I think we can still work with that, because we've got buy-in from the parents. If we've got young people coming, and they're not buying into that vision, they're not here for any of that, and their parents are also not interested in that vision either, then we have to be prepared to lose them. We have to be prepared to say, maybe this isn't for you, because we're here for this. And I would say, if you lose a young person because they don't like your vision, then you never had them in the first place. If we build our ministries around not wanting to lose any young people, we'll end up like Eli. We'll, we'll ply them with food, We'll ignore their lack of regard for Jesus. We'll idolise their attendance and we'll misplace our affection and we'll invite a gangrene to grow into our ministries. Yeah. But, you know, doing all of this is hard, isn't it? It's hard. It takes skill, gifting, graft, grit and the Holy Spirit. But it is our role and we shouldn't abandon it for an easy life. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Becky's going to talk so about that's the, the second. That's the first 
issue we think was real for Eli and is real for us. The second issue we think is passivity. Actually, Eli chose the path of least resistance. He was neglecting to bring godly leadership because of his passive leadership instead. His blasé attitude towards sin. You know, he was actually quite fearful of upsetting his sons, I think. So God had called him to be proactive, but instead Eli neglected to play that God-given role. He was supposed to be leading his children, he was supposed to be leading his nation, and he was supposed to be serving his God. But he was passive. You know, in 1 Samuel, in verses 22 to 25, which I've not got up here in chapter 2, Eli tries to speak to his sons, and he goes to them, and he says, I've heard what's happening. People are coming to me. They're telling me this is what's going on. I've seen it. I've heard it. As, as Chris said, it's an open secret. You know, Eli knew what was happening. So he did. He went to his sons, and they refused to listen. Eli had done his bit there, hadn't he? It's fine. Off he walks, you know? <coughs> but instead of removing them from their priestly duties, which surely, surely he should have done when he knew that they were abusing the sacrifice, surely he should have removed them from that role, but he doesn't. He lets them carry on. And in fact, in verse 29 of chapter 2, it says that he was also eating the offering. All of the, the stuff that the, the boys were doing in terms of taking the offering before it had been given to God. Actually, Eli was, was binging out with them. And as we find out a few chapters later, that he was actually quite a big guy and he fell off his chair and died, right? He, he was a big guy. Um, he'd been feasting on the sin of his sons. He was complicit in their sin. This wasn't, he should have been actively stepping in and stopping it, but instead, he kind of did his piece and walked off and then sat down for dinner with them later and just continued passively. God had perfectly positioned Eli. He'd given him authority. He'd given him influence. Yet he failed to act. Because of the neglect of the role that God had given him, there was a subsequent downfall to his family, to the nation. Right? The ark gets carried away. That happens during Eli's lifetime. And actually, God's chosen uh, chosen path follows down through Samuel instead. So I guess my question to you is, what has God perfectly positioned you for? What's he entrusted you with? How can you use your influence and your authority to speak up for God's glory and God's standards? How can you lead young people towards God's best and not away from God's best? I think that's a question. I think youth leaders, will you hear that? Because I think it's really easy to just be cool and stay with them and to kind of encourage or, or, or the kind of stories you share kind of bring glory to the behaviour that's not best. Can I just encourage you? How are you leading them towards godliness and not away from it? How can what you say and the teaching you bring, the, short, the stories that you share, the way you act when you're being watched as well as when you're not being watched, how can those things lead those that you influence to run after God? And guys, let me tell you, those kids are watching. They're watching you when you're aware you're being watched and when you're not. So how can you be leading them through what you're doing? How can we, how can we fight this passive attitude, right? Because confrontation is tough. I don't like confrontation. I hate getting into that moment. But how can we fight that passivity inside of us that says, oh gosh, I don't want to speak up. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad, so I won't say anything. 
How can that fear of kind of upsetting and breaking relationship, how can we stand against that passivity? Because I think often we choose not to speak because we're, sat, we're, we're worried it will upset them or cause breakdown, right? How can you fight that attitude that says, I'm going to stand up for godliness and I'm going to stand up for his kingdom and I'm not going to sit back? You see, passivity is hard. It also takes skill. Those are my verses. It also takes gifting and grit and graft. But it's also our role. So let's not abandon it for an easy life. So uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to pose four questions. I recommend writing these down. They're they're things for you to go away and think about. Um, We're we're so aware that, uh, as Steve spoke about yesterday morning, everything has to be contextualised for your context. So we, we, we thought we'd try and give you four questions to think about. So the first one is this, how can I join their world? How can I join their world? How comfortable are you living in young people's world? A survey by Youthscape of over 2,000 churches in the UK revealed that a majority of youth groups never talk about some of these things uh, that are most important to young people, such as drugs and addiction, 52% never talk about it. Other world faiths, 55% never talk about it. Same-sex attraction, 62% never talk about it. Pornography, 68% never talk about it. And yet only 57% reported that in their youth ministry, often uh, they discuss the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. It's just amazing uh, research. Uh, How comfortable are you living in the world of a young person? I grew up in a, a church era that I would say was scared of the world and was driven by fear. So things in youth, youth culture that um, the church were, were, didn't understand were bad. It was like, oh, we're kind of scared of these things. We don't know how to engage, so we'll ban them. We'll ban them, right, yeah? Anyone had things banned growing up, yeah? Harry Potter, banned. Yeah, don't understand it. Witches, bad, banned. Okay, uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I know it's obscure, right? But you know, Ninja, it's Eastern, banned. <laughs> yeah, that was the logic. Um, That's totally true. I had a lovely pyjama set taken away. Yeah. Banned. <laughs> banned. Rock music, banned. Banned. It's all banned. Yeah, don't buy an album, it's got the word bum in it. Yeah? <laughs> We're scared. The era was scared of culture. I, I think we have to do better. That yes. is not an option for That's us good. to do that. We have to get in there and help, help kids navigate culture, help That's kids right. read things for themselves and understand their world. Uh, Rachel Gardner is a youth worker. She wrote a brilliant book called The Sex Thing. And she gives this example at the start of the book, which is wonderful. She says, um, a young person comes to her and says, I want to talk to you about what God thinks about sex with robots. And then she says, and she kind of pauses there, and then she's like, what would you do in that situation? Are you freaking out? Yeah. What do you mean sex with robots? It's disgusting. <laughs> Never talk about that. It's awful. Yeah, well, yeah, it's terrible. What have you been looking at? You need to ban something. Quick. <laughs> ban the internet. <laughs> but she says, do you know what? I've learned to look at it from a different perspective, which is here is a young person who's asking theological questions about sex with robots. She wants to know what God thinks about sex and her and about the things that are in her world, her reality. She's asking deep theological questions about them and she's coming to me, a youth worker, to ask them. We should be rejoicing in those moments. We should be saying, well done, 
for asking what God thinks about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Second okay. One. Our second question for you is how well equipped are those that you're appointing to teach the most vulnerable? How well equipped are they? I, I've not got long enough to talk. I could do the hour on this, okay? <laughs> I feel really passionate about this. <laughs> Children are incredibly theologically vulnerable. Children and young people will believe what they're told. If you're a person of influence and they recognise you're in a position of authority, you could say the sky is green and they will believe you because you're a person of authority and you've told them something. Okay, children are incredibly vulnerable. We need to take that responsibility really seriously. Will you hear me when I say your study for your teaching, when you stand up on Sunday to teach about Jonah, you need to put the time in to study it well because I don't want you teaching your good ideas, I want you teaching scripture, right? Our kids need to know that what you're speaking to them is true and you know that it's true because you've spent time studying, okay? Will you really take that responsibility to teach children seriously? Don't cut corners. I spend more time studying when I teach children than when I teach grown-ups because children don't have the resources to go and check what I've said for themselves. Take it seriously. Can I, just, um, can I just recommend to you the training courses that Commission run? Chris and I between have, have had involvement in all four of those levels of training as well as the intern programme, and they are superb training programmes. Can I really appeal to you? I don't know what kind of capacity you've got to be able to study, but they are great, and they will equip you well. So just take seriously the need for you to study, to read, to spend time investing in your understanding in order to teach well. Yeah, Commission website has got all of the details you need there for the training courses. I think they've literally just launched. So if, you, if you're feeling stirred, speak to Tim Labour here. Um, I'm sure he wouldn't say no to you joining late. Um, um, I, th- I found this scary statistic, Chris. I don't know whether we've got the slide. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, this one. Um, th- granted, these are uh, American study, but I found it absolutely shocking to think that only 50% of young people who are identifying as Christian, this is 50% of Christian teenagers believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. What on earth are we teaching them? What on earth are we teaching? We need to be taking it really seriously. And can I just appeal to those of you that said you're elders in the room, or maybe you can take this to your leaders. Actually, we need the expertise from our leaders, our elders, our pastors, we need their expertise because the children in the church are theologically vulnerable and they are grappling with culture. Mm-hmm. Don't sit back and assume that somebody else is dealing with it. Actually, please, please engage. And please appeal to your leaders to engage with your children and your young people. We need their expertise, as Chris is bringing right now. <laughs> okay, question number three. When do they have access to the centre my church of our church. So the illustration here I want to use is, is that of the solar system. Let's let's say that the sun is the kind of centre of gravity for your church. It's, it's the place where uh, God's working powerful. It's the planning, it's the strategy, it's the vision. In the orbit of your church, where do your next generation ministries sit? Are they mercury? Are they as close as possible to the centre of your plans? Catching fire for what it means to know Jesus and, and to love the local church. Um, or are they kind of somewhere in the mid-range? It's like the, these things are happening, kids and youth is happening, but it's kind of over there. Um, when they're older, they can come closer, but it's kind of over there for now. Or, or I guess worst case scenario, they're out on Pluto, not even a planet anymore. Um, and people are questioning, you know, I, I don't really know how this fits. 
And we can ask things like, how, okay, as as uh, as leaders, how how regularly do I visit these uh, these ministries? Do I uh, sit in the control tower and send out astronauts to report back to me, or do I get in a rocket and, and go and see for myself? I might ask questions to other other elders like. When was the last time any of your elders spent a Sunday morning with your kids yeah. or your youth ministries? I'm not saying that should be all the time, um, but I, I think it should be some of the time. It's good. I think it should be. Um, what eldership oversight is given to these ministries? Do they have a connection to the eldership team? Uh, are they supported? Are they uh, filled in with what's going on? Um, and and are, are they being heard in the planning and envisioning for the next season? Um, and how often do kids and youth come up in your planning for your activities and events? Is, is that a consideration in what you're doing? And I think, you know, if we don't get this right, the alternative is to congregationalism. Okay, we have a, we have a kids meeting and what we would probably call a main meeting. And in our, our church, we've eradicated that language. We do not have a main meeting. Right. There is no main meeting, okay? There's, we, we start together as a family and we have an adults meeting subsequently a kids and a youth meeting there's no main meeting we don't have two congregations we're all one family yeah, um, so how will children and young people catch a fiery passion for the local church if they're made to live on Pluto and to get them close to the centre of the action good. And question good. number four and the last question we've got for you to pose in this section is how are you leading and equipping parents to prioritise their child's discipleship I hope, I hope that this isn't news to you as children and youth leaders that actually the bible is pretty clear that the responsibility rests with the parents to disciple children and young people and therefore my question to you as children and youth pastors or people involved in that ministry is how are you going to equip the parents as well actually we don't want to forget that really vital part here um so practically i mean Chris has touched on the kind of two congregationalism, but actually, where are your children alongside their parents at church? Actually, how can we be equipping and teaching our parents in how to help your child worship if they're never worshipping together? You know, how are we equipping our parents in how to pray with their children if they're never praying with their children? You know, we need to create opportunities within our church family for parents and children to be learning together and for them to be able to grow together. We need to be equipping our parents in lots of these practical things because the only way that children will know what personal faith looks like is if it's taught in the home. We can only ever at church teach what corporate prayer, corporate worship, corporate Bible study looks like. Personal prayer, Bible study, worship is only ever going to be modelled in the home. So like, if you're a parent, that's a great responsibility in how you do that in such a way that your children can learn, catch it and see and do themselves right but I think we need to be taking that seriously and how we're equipping our parents because I think a lot of parents don't know what to do and they don't know how to do it so actually we can help resource them and resource our parents and how do you deal with this pressure of clubs on church life and how can you equip parents to to help navigate that world right because there's a lot else battling for children's time and parents are busy trying to do the best they can in a world where their kids are going, Mum, I want to play football on Sundays. And she's going, well, no, we need to go to church on Sundays. How can we be equipping our parents to navigate that? I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, and uh, it's a family discipleship podcast, a great podcast. But they were talking about sports clubs, and they said the, the probability or the likelihood of getting a scholarship one day, or maybe becoming a professional footballer, is very, very slim. 
the probability of standing before Jesus one day is 100%. <laughs> How can we be equipping our parents to navigate that? It's really, really hard. So let's come alongside them. Let's not be judgmental in it. Let's come alongside them. How are you talking and communicating with parents? How are you including them in what you do on a Sunday? And I get it, because you've got a lot more than one family to teach, so you can't just do what they're doing at home on Sunday. There is a need to communicate with them still. There's a need to have a back and forth with them. There's a need for you to partner alongside them in, in telling them what you're doing, but also hearing what they're doing. How are you going to partner with parents? Because it's their responsibility to disciple children, first and foremost. We become the kind of wider family um, that comes alongside them. Great. So uh, now it moves us on to part three, which is uh, the resolution. And we call this, what can we learn? from Eli, we're, we're gonna probably speed up slightly. We should. <laughs> um, but we're gonna, we're gonna give you, how many have we got in the end? I can't remember, five? Five. So five, thi- five things we think five. It's okay. um, that we might be able to just learn from looking at this Bible passage and reflecting on our, our call. So we're kind of doing a what can we learn from Eli and like hear us well here because practically Eli shouldn't be our model and the person that we're learning from, right? Um, but how can we kind of learn from his mistakes, I guess, is where we're going. So we've got five questions for you, um, or five things that we think we can learn. Firstly, God has given us the young people, so we should meet them where they're at. You know, Eli was there, but he wasn't present. You know, he physically was there, but he wasn't actually engaged in what was happening with his sons. Um, what about you? Where are you present in the young people's lives? How are you nurturing, caring, teaching, instructing, loving them? How can you be present? You know, I I mentioned earlier about the fact that Eli spoke to his sons and then he walked away. I think we can be guilty of doing the same. We say our piece, we do our talk, and then we clock off. Can I just challenge you and encourage you to be present when you're not teaching, when you're not saying the words, and to follow up? Kids are great at opening up, right? And they, they come and they share where they're at. Why don't you follow up on the weeks that you're not on duty as well? How did that go? Catch them over coffee, welcome them. You know, how did that go? Be present, be there. God's given them to us, so we should meet them where they're at. Allow the space for the questions. Think, how can I join their world? You know, you're not a sometimes leader. You know, this is a great responsibility. I think I had the quote up, or the verse up earlier that said, you know, from whom much is given, much will be expected you know actually there's a great responsibility in leadership so take it seriously um teach young people not what to think but how to think teach young people how to think i mean we've been chris chris and i've been learning a little about popologetics popologetics something like that something like that um in in how we can teach children to think critically about the world because the world is teaching them don't be fooled. The world is very busy teaching them their message. So actually, how can we teach them to think critically? My kids get so cross with me because I'm forever pausing the TV show, the movie. Do we actually believe that? Or do you think that's a good message? They're getting forever getting frustrated with me. But the same is true of their music as well. When you're listening to songs that culture is playing, what, what are we singing? What are, they, what are they hearing? Teach children to think critically, to not just to be consumers and absorb that message but teach them to, to critique it themselves. 
it's you again. Is it still me? It's still you. It's still me. It's <laughs> not number you. Number two. Number two. Number two. God is calling us to disciple, so make it a priority. You know, Eli wasn't short of possibilities. You know, maybe it was a big shocker to Eli that Samuel suddenly got given to him as someone he had to like, whoa, I'm suddenly a youth leader. He was already a youth leader. He had two kids. Right? This wasn't a brand new thing for Eli. He'd already raised two boys. But actually, he'd kind of neglected the role there. And suddenly, he seems to have done a pretty good job with Samuel, despite, despite the environment that Samuel grew up in, right? He seemed to suddenly kind of take that call respon- like seriously, because actually when Samuel then was hearing God call him in the night time, he's going to Eli. There's obviously some kind of relationship has been formed. He's there, he's present, right? Um, Eli's not short of possibilities. He had his sons, but he was short on his priorities. He was short on his priorities. I wonder if we're the same. How many young people are there in our towns? How many young people visit your church each year? And just come once. It's not short on possibilities. There are young people out there. And I know there are churches in commission who are going, but we've not got any young people. We've not got any kids. They are there. They're in your town. <laughs> We're not short on possibilities. Um, so how are you prioritising the ministry to children and young people in your church? What's reflected in your budgets, in your time, in the way that you plan events? in the things that you do when Christmas is a massive moment for that, right? How are you prioritizing the children and the young people in the church in that moment? What about your prayer meeting topics? How regularly does your church pray for your children and young people or your ministries? What about you as a leader? How much airtime do you get with your elders, right? How are we prioritizing children's and youth ministry in the church? Uh, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples and he didn't just mean grown-ups. <laughs> Jesus commanded us to go and to meet them. This isn't a part-time role. I'm sorry if you're part-time. <laughs> I'm really sorry. But this is a mission that God has called us to take seriously. So let's go and do it seriously. Um, yeah, I think I'll leave it there. Great. Uh, number three is this. God has eyes on people that we don't, and therefore we need to be prepared. Got a couple guys from our youth team here, Noah and James. Woo. That's good, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did the woo. Well done. Slightly reluctant woo, James, but uh, we'll work on that. Um, do you know what? These guys recently said to me, we want to buy, we want to, we don't have chairs on a Friday night. We want to, we want to have more space. We want to buy pillows for our youth to sit on so they can sit on the floor and be comfortable, but there's actually kind of a bit more of, um, you know, it's, it's less kind of stri- constricted and structured in, in the space, which is a great idea. Question is, how many pillows to buy? Yeah. And how soft or hard? <laughs> or obviously those questions as well about the texture um, and the design. But how many to buy? Do you buy the amount for the kids you've already got? Or do you buy more with the expectation that those pillows are going to be filled at some point in the future. And I think for me, that's a, that's a difference in thinking. That's how we, that we, we need to be thinking about buying more than we currently need with an expectation that we're going to grow. Um, growth is, is painful, growth is difficult because often we build mm-hmm. our teams and our ministries as like a sort of container to fill mm-hmm. to, with a certain amount of capacity and then if more capacity is there, we, we're going to have to probably break the container, put it back together in a different form. But actually, that's good. That's good because we're preparing um, to receive people that God's got his eyes on already, yeah. people that we don't know about. Um, 
And so I, I guess provocatively I might ask you, if God brought you 20 new kids to your church this week, or 20 new kids to your youth group this week, how would you cope? How would that go? Would you, would you be able to accommodate them? Would they come back the following week? And that's just a provocative question to get you thinking. There's, there's no judgment in that whatsoever. It's, it's something we have to keep changing our thinking. Are we planning for growth? Are we preparing to receive yeah. people that God's got his eyes on? Just like God raised up Samuel to replace Eli without his knowing, God has eyes on people that we don't. He broods and watches over young people. Mm. Uh, young people like David Bennett that we heard from yesterday. He watches over them. He broods over them. We might think, oh no, no chance they're coming in. Yeah, there is. God's got his eyes on them. And he's going to bring them into our path at his appointed time. And we need to be ready, prepared to welcome them and love them towards Jesus and win them over with the goodness of the gospel. Who will God trust you with? Who will God lend to you? And then fourthly, God is looking to replace us. So we need to invest in young people. And I love this. I really do. God is really looking to replace all of us. Uh, and we should rejoice in that. Um, mm. Because, you know, we can all be confident in our calling, first of all. We can be confident that God has called us to a position and a place. Mm. And he's given us gifting. And he's resourced us to do this role and this task. It's just not forever. And one day someone's going to take your spot. Or your microphone. Or your desk, your email address, or your office, or your pulpit, or your platform. And if we really love Jesus and his church, then that's something to be mm. excited mm. about. Because um, if we're not passionate about raising leaders and, and people to replace us, then we're kind of like Eli's sons. It's like we're in this for what we get out of it. Um, and I think we should always be looking over our shoulder at who we can raise up to replace us. And be looking yeah. to give them opportunities, to invest in them, and, and to bring them with us in all that we do and not resent their questions. One observation I would have um, in looking at our ministries in our church is that I think the hardest, the pinch point for me is the older year groups in both kids ministry and youth ministry. So year five and six in welcome kids and then years 12 and 13 in welcome youth. And if you think about it, I'd put it like this, you've got a a, a child is a moving target, right? and yet we're putting them often in a static ministry. So my son has just joined Welcome Kids. He's learning to read. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's, learning, he's like, you know, the cat fell off the map. That's, that's <laughs> what he's doing. In year five, not even in year six, not even, not even at the top end, but in year five is, is my oldest daughter, Isabel. And um, she wanted to read some of the Bible the other night, so she sat and read 14 chapters of Exodus. <laughs> Not boasting, she, she just did it. But that's, we've got that range of, of child development in one room. Man, that's hard. And the same for youth. You know, they come in at 11. You know, they're, they're children. Um, and, you know, they don't know anything. And they just wandered in from kids to youth in this whole new world. And then by the time they leave, you know, they can drive, they can vote, they can get married. Yeah. We've got young people are moving target in a static ministry, and we need to really think carefully about that. Um, I'd be encouraging you to look at those top two um, oldest year groups and asking how can we help them go deeper? Mm. How can we provide opportunities for them to go deeper mm. um, in God? Mm. And, I, and, and one obvious thing to do is give them responsibility. Mm. It's just an obvious thing to do. 
Make them junior <coughs> leaders. It's well known that after learning something for yourself, the best next step is to teach it to someone else. It's, it's a step in your learning and your development. And do you know what? There's actually loads of models for this out there. Schools have prefects, don't they? And scouts have sixers. And many sports clubs have young coaches apprenticing the adult coaches. There's loads of models out this there. Maybe we just missed them. And we can, we can use them for our benefit. Jesus was comfortable sending out his disciples, many of whom were led, we are led to believe were not all that old, um, and they were certainly out of their depth. So let's invest in young people. Right, yeah, best is going to do Okay, this is our last point for number three for the third section, which is God can do what he wants. We won't know the impact, right? We have no idea. And you know what? That shouldn't make us despondent, that should make us dream, right? That should make us dream. You, even through Eli, the blind, negligent leader, God raised up Samuel, who would lead the nation, who would appoint David, who was a foreshadow of Christ. Right? Even through Eli, that's what God did. So what could God do through me? What could God do through you? Right? It should make us dream. You know, if one poor leader could herald in the downfall of a whole nation, because that's what came verse in chapter four if just one poor leader could bring in the downfall of a whole nation in just one generation then would you dare to dream what god would do through a room full of proactive godly leaders in our day that should make us dream shouldn't it that should make us excited for what god's going to do you know we can't be god to our young people i'm no good at being god right (laughs) but i can help show them god right and that's my space that's what I do you know I can't control their lives I can't control their circumstances I can't I can't deal with what adverse childhood experiences that's going on and I'd love to step into that space and help where I can you know but I can show them the God who does supply all of their needs the God who is with them in those experiences you know um, trust God demonstrate a trust in God even when it seems all doom and gloom even when it hurts. You know, uh, Paul talks about, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, God made it grow. I, I can't make it grow. God can make it grow. You finish off? Yeah. I want to just give a sort of finisher to think of, which I've, I, feel, I feel God gave me for this at the end of the session, and I feel like it's, it's been on my heart through the last few days. It's nothing greatly too profound, but um, it's, it's simply this. We've got a rich history but we need a rich vision for a richer future. I, I, we talk, Tim talked on the first day about honouring the past yeah. and cherishing the past and celebrating the past, and I, and I agree. And, and, and John spoke a little bit about that today as well, and I agree. Don't hear any disagreement from me, but, but I would say this. We, we must also honour the future. We must honour the future. We, our, our young people, our kids, they don't know who Terry Virgo is. <laughs> and they're unlikely to. We can argue about whether they should or not. They don't know about the down spine all week. They don't, what's that? They don't know about Stonely. They think it's like a punk band or something. <laughs> like, we can't just live on the vestiges of a history of our movement and then say, well, well you know, we're new frontiers. No, we, we've got to honour the future. And we need, that means we need new expressions of the yeah. things that we're holding on to. We're not told to guard. Terry Virgo or guard anything from the past. Yeah. We told to guard the good deposit 
of the gospel and to find new expressions, fresh expressions of that right. um, in our day, in our generation. That's right. I think that's kind of what, what we've got to bring today. Got we, want, we wanted to just repeat that, actually, where are you at in 2050? Provocation to you, like, in terms of that church building. Like, I pray for this church, that this church is absolutely bustling with children and young people in 2050 and I pray that the children in this church who are hearing the gospel are going to be the leaders stood on the platform preaching scripture right not just twee stories you know if we want our children to be theologically sound when they're teaching grown-ups then they need to be learning theology now you know if we can't, we can't just teach them twee stories and assume that that's going to be the type of teaching that they'll teach later you know we need to be teaching well so what will your church look like in 2050 and how are you going to invest now so that that's what it looks like yeah has anyone got any burning questions they want to ask as we come to an end yes Do you want to take well, the first? I'll take the second. I was going for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think it's about um, calling people to a vision, and I think when when people get vision, mm. it's amazing what they'll what they'll do and and, mm. and fight for and contend for. Mm. Um, and yeah, of course, we all have realities to deal with. Yeah. We're not we're not denying that at all. There's there's reality of what can we offer. Who, you know, how many people mm. can we serve at this time uh, well mm. but um, that'd be my only comment is, is I, th- I think often I've seen in our teams there's, there's actually a lack of vision which leads to a kind of despondency mm. like I'm just a warm body in a room mm. what am I doing mm. here you know um, uh, roles and, and leading it are, aren't defined or shared out and so you've got a whole group of people going I'm actually not needed and I'm yeah, bored yeah. and so I'm, I'm out they might say, oh, I, just, I need a break, you know, I'm burned out. But I, I, can, I think there can be a burning out of vision. Yeah, just lost right. vision for what that's this right. is. So that would be mine. Can I, can I add on to your second question there? I think as a leader, you can do some legwork for them. And I think in, when you're preparing your syllabus or writing your curriculum, actually you can hit some commentaries and you can do some legwork. And then in what you're giving them, you've done the hard work and you're compiling some good meat that gives them a good grounding, right? But I would always encourage my team to go and read for themselves. Go and read that Bible. <laughs> read the scripture. <laughs> Don't just read the four verses you're teaching on. <laughs> would, you, would you at least read the chapter? You know, Encourage them to read it, for sure. But I think you can do some legwork to help resource them. Um, I, doesn't, I get the theology courses are not going to be possible for everyone, but you could get systematic theology on your bookshelf, right? Stick it on your Christmas list, because then you can flip it open qu- quickly, help I'm talking about God, let's just quickly brush up on the doctrine of God you know actually there is some really quick ways to resource yourself well um, in that sense in terms of the unsaved parents can I, can I just say that my I'm sorry, I'm a parent my mum was 
interpretation of mm. like coffee mornings. Great. And I know it's a different society now, but thank goodness that church opened that doors. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a warm space. That's what it was. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so I was just going to make that question a bit harder. I, I <laughs> 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 of course, you're going to have kids coming in with, with unsafe parents, and then you just kind of, kind of do your best. But even with the best will in the world, if you are doing what you need to do to try to equip the Christian parents yeah. to be doing this at home, some of them still aren't going to do No, it. that's right. So you, you can't, no, that's you can't right. take all the Christian parents and sort this out. You, we, we still have to find a way to yeah, do, do what we can. That's right. To help the kids who, who can right. get it at home. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think there is an equipping the children that that is part of our role. You know, I think in the Old Testament scriptures that talk about the parents passing on, right, it does talk about the wider community. And as you walk along discussing, you know, I expect to be walking along, alongside these families, right? And so I do play, I, I call it kind of spiritual aunts and uncles kind of role. You know, we're part of that family. We are walking along with them. Right, but I think I think it's not neglecting the role of the parent. I think in terms of your unsafe parents, actually, you you do need to be absolutely equipping the child so that they've got that resource. But I would still want to be trying to form connections with the parents, even through your coffee mornings and so on, to try and kind of breathe that there, um, so that it's not just in a void. Um, I don't know if you got anything to add. No, I, I think it's been said. I think that's that's where the church is a family. That's where mm. we where we find out if the church is a family, isn't it? We have spiritual one, mothers and fathers. Um, but I think even in the comments on this question, I think I think we can feel the engagement with the wrestle. This is the hard work yeah, that's right. that we're tasked to do. Uh, we we had a lecturer did some great teaching on this stuff, and he said it. He said if you ever get to a point where you're really you're thoroughly satisfied mm. with your kids or youth ministry, you should probably retire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Because we live with a sense of, of that holy discontent. That's right. Oh, there's more. That's right. Well, I just briefly pray. To Let's do that. Father God, thank you so much for the young people you've put into our hands. We cherish them. Yeah. We thank you for them. And Lord, we want to be faithful stewards. We want to be faithful uh, mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers to these young people. Help us to equip them. Help us to give them a regard and a love for you and your church. Yes. Help us to envelop them with the arms of of grace that you have um, embraced us mm. with. And, and Lord, I, I pray for everyone in this room, would you, would you just inspire them anew, equip them anew, yes. refresh them anew uh, to go again, um, to carry that holy discontent into, into these spaces, to, to be comfortable in the lives of young people and to love them towards yeah. Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you.